It is a center for higher learning. It is a place with centuries of secrets in its shadowed halls. This is where you have come to learn the mysteries of the cosmos. Welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast. Brought to you by CryptoCurium.com Hello and welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast, episode 40. This is the podcast dedicated to Call of Cthulhu and other horror and Lovecraft-related role-playing games. I'm Keeper Dan. I'm Keeper Murph, and I'm not Keeper John. And I'm Keeper Chad, Waganaglafatagandos. In episode 40, we're diving into the time machine to see how the news and media worked in the jazz age. And in the bestiary, we discover what that buzzing is inside my head. And more, but first, we're going to go on into the campus crier. Miskatonic University Campus Crier. Campus Crier's Miskatonic U student paper. Here's where we're going to go through news and feedback for the show. First up, Charlie Strauss has uh, released a new novella online for free to all to read in part of his uh, Laundry Files series. Oh, so, it is. yay, I new see. laundry! Yeah. Right. Yep, it's called uh, Equoid or Equoid. I don't know, but uh, it's very good. I read it the other day. Equoid. Equoid. It's not that hard to say. Equoid. Sure. Say it with me. Equoid. Uh, it's good. Uh, if you have, if you like oh, the files, yeah, I read it. I read it. Oh, you uh, did. Nice. Yeah, I did. Uh, well, I don't. I'm just asking. <laughs> it's very good. <laughs> I read it the other day. Um, it's a bit long. It is a novella, so, um, mm-hmm. but it's good. It, it's it's a laundry files, uh, and it's it's pretty entertaining. Cool, I love Which that. Which goes along with being laundry files. Yeah, well, you know, it's, those are awesome. Yeah, is they there are. They're a really setting. Good. There's a setting, right? Somebody has a setting out. Is it pagan or who has the setting? Uh, Cubicle 7, I think, publishes Cubicle it. Cubicle 7, that's right. Yeah, Sorry. Cubicle yeah. 7 does. And it is BRP based. Gotcha. Yeah, I would love a, to play it. So, I'm just going uh, to put that out there. I would love to play that. Mm-hmm. That's all. The, yeah, I know Tony was keeping uh, a laundry game on uh, uh, Skype at Cthulhu. Oh, oh really? Has it been released? Yeah, a while back. Yeah, yeah. It, it, okay. it came out a long time ago, it was, I think. Like all right, I'll a year or so. Yeah, you're so yeah, just so. go back through the Skype at Cthulhu archives. You'll hear some uh, laundry gaming. Great. He keeps meaning to pick it up again, but uh, just hasn't really gotten around to it. But yeah, the link to that's going to be in the show notes. A free laundry story to read. So yay! Very right cool. On. And the uh, new seventh edition Quick Start Rules PDF is now available to the public. Yep. So it's not just for backers yeah. anymore. It's for everybody. So if you are curious uh, and you've been hearing so damned much about it uh, and you want to check it out, at least the 
the beginnings of it. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. check it out. Now you can actually talk about it with some, you know, something behind it as opposed to total speculation and listening to our secondhand review. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, up there for everybody to see. So go out to Chaosium's website and get it. You do have to have a login to their uh, system in order to get it, but uh, hopefully. You know, it won't be long before they'll just say anybody can offer it up as long as it's not altered. Mm-hmm. And we can have it on our download store, too. Ah, that would be cool. It would be pretty neat. Um, also, no big surprise, but the Raiders of Relay has actually successfully funded. I uh, just finished a couple of days ago as of this recording uh, with a total mm-hmm. of $28,221. So congratulations, guys, and we are waiting for our review copies. Oscar Rios's Island of Ignorance has reached the final phases and will be in the printer's hands for almost a week by the time you hear this. Um, so that's uh, that puts Golden Goblin on track to have the books out on schedule, as planned. And congratulations, Oscar, and the whole team at Golden Goblin. Ooh, uh, sweet. So yeah. Congratulations, it's Oscar. It's kind of rare to team. have something out on schedule. Yeah, it's it, really it's strange. Awesome. I know. I'm I know. happy. I know. I'm totally... I, 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 any opportunity to uh, say Oscar does the crowdfunding stuff right, and mm-hmm. you know high high communication. He you know thinks about people waiting and their impatience and trying so it's to well planned as well. You know, yeah, yeah, He's it's very good. Some so people congratulations, get this model guys. And some people don't, and they they are doing it right. So yeah. Also, a fellow Mythos nut and friend of the show, Brian Sammons, has an article up on Insmith Free Press. Listing out his four favorite podcasts, and go figure, we are one of them. No way. What? Yeah, and it's a really nice read. Um, the link is in the show notes. Um, it's it's really cool. Thank you very much, Mr. Sammons. You're awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was uh, very cool to read, and thank you very, very much, sir. And I don't know two of his other ones. Three. I haven't read any of these. Uh, heard, oh my yeah. god! Well, the others are are some straight up horror uh, podcasts, yeah. Great. Uh, like the, yeah. they focus like on horror slash films, films and, yeah, and werewolves. Brilliant. Yeah, I subs- I've subscribed last night. Yeah, so they seem pretty cool. They're in my queue to sample while I'm at work. Fantastic. And we've we've got a new contest coming up. Actually, we've got a couple of them. We've got two. Yeah, one's already been running for a week now. By the time you hear this. And then we have another one that'll be starting up at around the time that you hear this. I'd like so to hear about we, the one that's running now. What's happening? Uh, well, the one that's running now is a, a your chance to win a free copy of Dennis Detwiller's The Sense of Slide of Hand, man. Um, in order to subscribe or to enter your chance to win, go to our – I don't know where we go. There's a, there's a link on the, on the website, and you can, uh, yep. you can go there, like our Facebook page. And then send out tweets and whatnot in order to get uh, a better chance of winning. Um, the, pro- the It runs until October 24th, which I believe will give us just the time to announce it on the um, before our, not the next show, but the show after. So hopefully uh, somebody wins that and I can send it off and get it off my bookshelf. Yay. Yay. Tell us about the other contest, Dan. We have an item from our sponsor, CryptoCurium.com. And what they've been doing lately is they have, for the month of October, they've got exclusive items that are available for one week at a time. And we have been uh, granted one of these items to do as a contest. 
And so we are going to be offering the item that will have just dropped off the market when this episode drops. So the second week item, which was the Eye of Azathoth Ouija board. Oh my god, no way. Which is really cool looking. If you guys have not seen this thing, it is awesome. Uh, yeah. And the uh, the little piece that you use to uh, you know move around on the board, it has a like a night gaunt on it, and it uh, glows in the dark. Yeah, it's, and, it's uh, really it's, cool. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm actually gonna buy one of these here soon. So it's 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 fairly awesome. I can't find it in a Google search. I am jonesing to see it. So uh, I will we'll go to crypticurium.com. Oh. And you should be able to find it. What's the what's the URL for that? Cryptocurium.com. Okay. <laughs> you know what's fun is to li- for listeners to hear me browsing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's good radio. Yeah, sorry, I'm sorry. Good. Can you yeah. see what he's? Oh, you can't because you're listening. What? Yeah. But okay. go to the show notes for this episode, which is gonna be mu dash podcast.com slash 40 and there's going to be a thing down at the bottom of the show notes and that's where you can enter in to be able to get this and this is also going to be one of those things where you do social media things and everyone can enter up to I believe five times so by like liking the Facebook page joining the Twitter feed tweeting about it you know doing a shared tweet thing that will also give you entries into the contest. And then whenever that's finished, then we have a uh, winner picked, and you'll be getting the uh, the Ouija board. Basically, Very the cool. task of the individual librarian remains the same, bringing books and people together. So this week's card catalog... We have CthulhuReborn.wordpress.com. Yeah. Have we not talked about this before? Because this, uh, this is... Yeah, this, I know. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I, I, this yeah. is one of those sites that everybody has gone to or everybody uses, and, and we just haven't mentioned it yet for some reason. Yeah. I mean, I just recently went on to get the, uh, the really awesome Invictus um, PDF uh, character sheet. And it right. just occurred to me that we haven't talked about this as a resource, and it is—it's um, a game resource. It's not a, like a research resource, but there are s- scenarios that are you can't find anywhere else. Just a, a ton of free stuff that has been collected by uh, this website, and also some original work uh, with props. Um, yeah, the geek God. dunk, the huh? geek dunk prop set. Yes. 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 So check it out. We'll have we'll have it in the show notes. I mean, it's just uh, it's just an endless awesome resource, and it's free, and that's the kind of thing we want to pass on to you. That's the site where I've been getting most of my uh, sheets that I use for online gaming. Because when you're doing all your gaming online, well, you want to be able to just have a uh, easy PDF character sheet, and yeah. this is you know where I've been getting all mine. The 1920s fillable. Sheet is just what I've been using, and they they also have like if you're um, if you're following the Atomic Age, they've got the '50s sheet as well, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's not a fillable one yet, but I'm sure that'll come eventually. And this that's Dean's work, am I right? The the sheets. Yes. 
Yeah. This is the guy who's doing the uh, character sheets so, for the official 7th edition stuff. Right. Yeah. Which I've seen in there. With all gorgeous. the auto calculations and all that. Yeah. Really cool. Yep. So, all good right. game resource. That, that's Very all. I just, I just thought we got to pimp that because, you know. Yeah, why not? And I actually purchased his uh, – he did a thing for uh, newspaper props that I purchased. And oh, nice. uh, it's quite good. Very cool. Back in the bestiary. Woohoo, it's been a while. Yeah, been forever. Yeah, it has. So, uh, this week we're going to talk about the insects from Shagai, or the Shan, as they're also known. Yes, yes. as they tend to prefer to be called. Well, I don't know. It's only just polite. Sure, they can be called whatever they want, as long as they don't invade my brain. They're bugs the size of pigeons, so yeah, you want (laughs) to be polite. Well, they have nerve whips as, as well, which will, I guess we'll get to that as, in a moment. <laughs> yeah, these are uh, nasty little suckers that they're just not very friendly to people. They, they've been bouncing around from one world to another, and they don't seem to uh, play nicely with whoever they find already living there. Yeah, they lost their home world, right? Their home world has been destroyed, but they were able to escape in these metallic pyramidy tower things and are now the diaspora is all over the place like spores of some terrible mold and uh and they landed i think in the severn valley right one of the places yeah they, they eventually made their way to earth lucky us yep. and after uh subjugating and enslaving two or three other planets previously they decided to go ahead and pop up here man they always seem to pop up here well they made her they made their way to us A long time ago. Yes. How long ago, Murph? (laughs) Well, theoretically, the pyramids in Egypt and in Southern America or South America are all based upon Shan ship design. So Uh they've had a hand at least that far back, probably further, but that's about as far back as I'm certain of. Right, right. And uh, they also um, pop up in Matthew Hopkins' time, a, uh, which we have covered on the history segment. Uh, mm-hmm. The witch hunter Matthew Hopkins actually destroyed a cult that uh, popped up surrounding the Shugai. Yeah, so. it seems that they're they're focused around certain areas. They're, uh, well, I guess we should go into the fact that um, the Shigai are, are actually a, a fugitive race now, so to speak. Um, there's not m- many of them left. Um, their home world has been destroyed by whatever reason. I can't recall what actually blew up Shigai. I think but, Unicron ate it. <laughs> are, <laughs> okay. You, uh, Dan. Um, but uh, are you serious? Wait, hang on. No. Okay. Okay. Thank <laughs> no, you. Okay, I'm just double checking. You can never tell when he's so straight faced. Poker. Never play it with Dan. Um, but essentially, you know, they they got to Earth, and there's something about Earth's atmosphere that does not allow them to leave, mm. um, and that's that's why they have not left. Um, 
they are uh, they worship Azathoth um, in his only known avatar, which is the um, Zadahla. However, the heck you say that? Anybody yeah. know how to say that? Zadahla. Well, there's no Ziklatl. Ziklatl. Yes. Like no, 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 no. Like it's X, That's a planet. X, um, I'm sorry. It's X A D A dash H G L A. You want to want to try it? No. Oh, okay. I do, but I'm I can't see it in front of me. Trying to find it. L apostrophe G Y. No. Wait. No, no. Say it again. X A D A dash H G L A. Zadagla. Zadagla. Hugla. Hugla. Zadagla. I Americanized it. I Americanized it. You Americanized? Yeah. Zadagla. We'll mm-hmm. go with that. It's a lot easier to say. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's that's only. I think that's the only listed avatar of Azathoth that there is actually. Um, which so, is basically- so they they worship Azathoth, and um, the interesting thing is, what what do they do? Do they get together and they have pra- they read prayers or they they discuss their ancient texts quietly in a room? Do they perhaps um, just you know worship respectfully? What is it that they do to uh, hot dish? They they <laughs> definitely yeah <laughs> bring a dish to pass. Yeah, it's it's a potluck kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what's the entertainment at the potluck? Is it bingo, or you know? It's typically um, slaves, um, yeah. and then torture and um, murder, and then a, and then a light lunch. Yeah, <laughs> and and occasionally polka. <laughs> right, but not with Which Dan. Which is a kind of torture. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Well, playing with Dan is torture because you lose everything. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's <laughs> the insects from Shigai in a brief. Evidently, see the re- they worship. Azathoth, but and supposedly in their ships there's a temple. The ships are temples, right? Uh, and in, mm-hmm. inside each ship is Zadagla, right? The Azathoth avatar, uh, and it's the same Zadagla inside each and every ship. So Azathoth is inside of every Shigai temple ship uh, due to some magical, fantastical, freaking Shigai planet. You know, whatever technology, they've got this wormhole thing that allows the same avatar to be present within every single ship that they have. So you could say when they're flying their ships that Azathoth is their co-pilot. Yes, we could. That is their bumper sticker. Yes, that is their bumper sticker. Take the wheel. Yeah, it's quite it's quite quite amazing. So let's talk (laughs) about what what they actually do. You know, if you actually come up, yeah, yeah, the stick you're likely to actually see them. Involved. Yeah. 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 So I guess the thing to know about Shigai first off is that they're, they're extremely smart. You're, um, smart and mean. They're smart and mean. Yeah. They've got these weird brains, but we don't, I guess we don't need, really need to go into the brain structure of a Shigai. They have three brains, right? Well, let's look. Well, no, they have three, they have three lobed brains. Um, so they're able to take on three different conversations or perform three different actions within the same round or cast three different spells at the same time within the same round, which is kind of crappy if you're not a Shigai or an insect from yeah. Shigai. If you're uh, actually a player in this environment and not the keeper, then, uh, yeah, these guys are kind of bad news. That And they yeah. they have an enjoyment of uh, riding around inside of uh, humans as if they were uh, their own personal mechas. Yeah, yeah, I guess we I guess we should go into the fact that the what they actually look like. So um they're they're about the size of a pigeon 
and they look like a um, some sort of mutated mosquito. I guess is how I always imagine them, um, the size of a pigeon. That's not entirely within our plane of existence. So it kind of like phase shifts in and out almost. Um, unfortunately, what that allows it to do is fly straight through people. Um, and therefore, it can fly straight into your head and take control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They Which enjoy flying into your head and actually staying there rather than coming out the other side. Yep. What they'll do is they'll allow you to perform as normal during the daytime. And then at, in the evenings or at night, uh, the Shan become or the Shagai or the Shan, we'll call him the Shan, becomes uh, active and then does whatever he wants. And so the player or NPC who has been infected uh, kind of gets this um, blackouts, you know, where he's not sure what he's been doing and he's not aware of what he's doing at night, yeah. which is kind of strange. But Yeah, I know. would say that this is the main, uh, like, RPG uh, use of them is this mind control thing. Yeah. It's, it's just mm-hmm. an awesome way to... Uh, mess with favorite NPCs or, you know, it's a great plot hook to have uh, somebody who doesn't know what they're doing at night uh, be implicated. You know, it's kind of like the, the perfect crime, perfect framing. Yep, uh, and also um, with with these guys, they, they can implant memories, they can yeah. destroy memories, they can yeah. uh, force, you know, the the target to witness things whatever they desire so you can throw like sand reducing crap at them left and right um and this this comes in in game terms this is very very helpful for keepers who have messed up because now you have a perfect reason of why what you had told the players 10 minutes ago is completely and utterly false because they're <laughs> infected with an insect from shagai yep and they're screwed there's a I should I I would like to mention that there's this role-playing game by Jason Morningstar that is appears to be a thinly veiled situation where you're in Arkham or in a college town, a New England college campus in 1919. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you heard of this? It's called Shab Al Hiri Roach. <laughs> uh, excuse yeah. you. No, I don't think <laughs> yeah. so. Anyway, no, I I, I'm pretty sure that he's talking about the uh, insects from Shigai, and one of the faculty members becomes infected, and it's a storytelling <laughs> game, so it's kind of, you know, I haven't played it, but I've heard it played. Uh, anyway, so there's a whole role-playing game just based on that, and every time you play, you know, somebody's infected, and it affects the story. Okay. Soul-eating telepathic insect. Yeah, they're great. Um, I, I like Shigai. They're not used very often, unfortunately. Um, uh, I guess because they're a little difficult to work with because they can eat your thoughts and cause sandblasting visions. And Yeah, they're one of those I mean, things in, that, you know, you really need to have them in the, within the use of an NPC yeah. rather than shoving one of these things into the head of a PC because you're basically taking away the only thing the player has, which is their character. Well, I mean, you can do it with a PC. You just have to remember that, you know, the Shigai or the Shan is going to be more active in the evening or at night um, than during the daytime. So if you play it, if you play it right as a keeper, you know, you can have them doing things during the day. Uh, and then have, you know, well, I'm going to go to sleep. And then at night, you have it already uh, a list of things that he's already committed, you know, felonies or whatever, um, dark rights that the player is actually committing, unbeknownst to himself uh, in the evening. 
I, I think that would actually that would actually make a really good either one-on-one uh, scenario or even in a group where that would be uh, somewhat disturbing where, you know, the, the one of the player characters is actually searching for himself because he is the bad guy unbeknownst to himself. That's, mm-hmm. that's a, that could be pretty good in a game. It could be good. Another way you could handle it is to sort of ask in a group, pull someone aside and kind of ask permission to say, Hey, I'm going to do something in this campaign with your character they're obviously, you know, going to be in a downward spiral. Um, are you up for it? And, uh, you know, I mean, you don't have to, but it's kind of nice when you're going to be taking control of somebody's character. It's kind of nice to um, just have that mm-hmm. be clear from the outset. And I think a lot of players would love that to be kind of the, the secret bad guy. Not oh, that yeah. they would know what they're doing, but, you know, that... Uh, yeah, and, see, in that, in that case, I wouldn't even tell them, I think. just Just because... They wouldn't actually. It might actually influence what they're doing or what they're thinking as as a regular player character. Um, I, I probably would let them in later on, uh, whenever the reveal. You maybe the game before the reveal comes out, mm. where it's becoming more and more obvious that someone within the group is the issue. Right. Um, I might do it then. You know, and then you got to remember he's he's losing sand every once in a while. So I mean, they're gonna they're eventually they're gonna know something's up. Um, but there's not a whole heck of a lot you can do about it when there's a a shan in your head. Right. There um, is a spell to get rid of them, but yeah, you know, yeah, that's a is. quest in itself just to find out, you know, what that is and uh how to get hold of it if you live long enough to find it, you know. Mhm. Um the the shan also have the what they call the nerve whip, which is nothing like a whip at all. Um basically it's a little device that the Shan carries around with him uh, that emits this, quote, chattering line of pallid light. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But whenever whenever the light hits the target, uh, you match magic points against uh, the Shan with the PC. And if it wins, the Shan wins, you're completely overcome with agony and you, you know, writhe in utter pain on the ground until the the nerve whip is turned off and then if it if it fails you know if you actually beat the shan uh you're still writhing in pain but your skills and everything is reduced by 20 percent for the next 24 minus con hours <sighs> okay yeah that's a lot yeah and then they can attack they can renew it each round so th- that's pretty horrific yes they're bad yeah they're 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 meanies now, I poked around a little bit. I have to confess I didn't, you know, I could have done more. But did anyone find a scenario in which the, these, I mean, we don't need to name the scenario, but I actually couldn't find any. I I can think of two. All right. Okay. Hit us with it. Well, no, you don't, we don't want to, I don't think we want to do that, right? <laughs> we don't want to no, just name you don't really scenarios spoil where the, the bad guy, scenarios you know, that. I looked. I wasn't able to find it, so I'll have to ask you offline because I was kind of curious mm-hmm. about that myself. What else can we talk about, uh, Shan? Any any other ways that you can use them in games, guys? That you can think of, maybe a non traditional manner. Yeah, I mean it's the it's the it's the mind control that's the center of it. Yeah, so I mean that's you're right. You're, that's you're, the some character becomes uh, you know is involved in something that they don't even know about um, either PC or NPC. That's the main thing. I mean, as a straight up kind of fight the monster, there there are other choices that are better. 
you know, if yeah, you just a want a combat. These things get inside you. It's all about questioning who you are. Um, it would be some kind of psychological drama situation. Right. It's very, very cool. I like them just because of that reason. They're, you know, the whole brain parasite thing is, is really a neat concept yeah. in general. So It's an interesting role-playing challenge to try to do the three-brained thing because they, they communicate directly. Well, actually, they manipulate the entire world through their minds, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, uh, I dare you to try to role-play a bad guy that has three different brains saying three different things. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty interesting when you get to it's really strange. Yeah, I I guess that's why these are more often seen controlling people as opposed to mm. actually trying to control and manipulate things outside of themselves, you know, on their own because it it's a very difficult thing to try and get your head around. I have a six low brain, so I'm able to talk to you. I'm also talking to somebody on the phone in the next room and I don't know. It's very, you know, that can be very difficult. But as long as you do it, I think as the, uh, you know, you're in somebody's head, whether NPC or PC, I think that'll work out fine. And something that uh, just kind of occurred to me is that from what I'm seeing, there isn't really a limitation that they have to use humans as their hosts. It just says bond oh, with yeah, the right. brain of organic life. So animals are free to use as um temporary host i mean the thing can leave when it feels like it controls how long it's there so you could be chasing down a single one of these creatures bouncing from one host to another and it could mm -hmm. be starting off in a person doing all these horrible things and then it's like in the family dog you know what was that movie and with dennis or uh, with uh, denzel washington where it was the same basic principle, where there was the, of course, it was a demon or something in in this movie, where it was transmitted by touch. You know, if it touched you, it would it would it would take immediate possession of the person it touched or animal that it touched. Uh, and that reminds no me a idea. lot of this. Uh, I'll have to think about that. I can't remember. Was it? Is it about the boxer? No, no. It's the it's the he's a cop or hang on a second. I gotta find that real quick because it was actually not a bad movie. It's not the greatest Denzel Washington movie, but. Yeah, I'm mm. not familiar with that at all. Malcolm um, X. But I just like the idea of Spike Lee film. Uh, uh, what I'm visualizing, which is going to be kind of comedic and still creepy, would be a small colony of Shan, say 20 or 30 of them, that is inhabiting like a large forested area and all of the native animals have been essentially conscripted. Ew. So you've got, you know... You're walking in the woods, and you run across a deer, and it's just kind of standing there looking at you, and uh, but not running away. It's like, wow, this is great. You take a picture, and you're expecting <laughs> for it to leave. and Try to feed it a carrot. Then another one kind of comes out, and then like a bear just sort of slowly wanders <laughs> out and stands there and looking at you, and just more and more just like animals. Yeah. Yeah. Only <laughs> only they're they're looking at you with you know like they're contemplating intelligence. Like, hmm. Like they're about to yes. eat you. That's what you mean. Like how does this thing hurt? Or or they might <laughs> be deciding which of them is about to vacate its current host and about to right. jump into you and go for a spin. I like this. I, I like that a lot. Uh, That's very cool. And also. Cool. 
you can tap into various um, folklore that way because there's always like the, the the white deer in the forest or mm-hmm. you know the uh, the albino bear or something and yeah you could you could have them be uh, Sean and the reason why there's there's legends surrounding it is because it it behaves intelligently it was a good one mm-hmm. like now we know why the honey badger don't care <laughs> <laughs> honey badger that's just <laughs> terrible. <laughs> it don't care. It don't care how you honey badger do. don't care. Yep. Honey badger don't give a damn. <laughs> I would I would like to mention that there is actually this could come into play in a game as almost a red herring, but there is actually a whole people called the Shan in Southeast Asia. Mm. They're sort of based in Burma and Thailand, and they're a minority, and they tend to be mistreated especially in Burma um, they've been at war with the, the current regime but you know they, they've had a civilization <laughs> and so I, it, it sort of I wonder why that name was picked um, and is it Ramsey Campbell that penned these guys because I don't think it's originally Lovecraft is it no no yeah, it's, it's not it's Campbell apparently yeah. is the one who created these in 64 yeah okay. in the short story the insects from Shagai Right, right, okay. So he might not have been aware of the actual people using that same name. That's true. Okay. But in any case, if you're in a, you know, if you're doing a scenario that's globe hopping and the Sean are mentioned in some text, then, you know, you might you might get confused and yeah. try to wipe Somebody out Somebody does a Cthulhu group. Mythos roll and goes, "Oh no." Yeah. <laughs> Murder them all. They make really good noodles. There's something called a Sean noodle, which is really good. Mm. Maybe that's something they have in common. I mean, it might be one of their specialties <laughs> with the hot dish meetings. In this episode, we find our protagonists oh, enjoying the beautiful Arkham <laughs> summer, feeding squirrels in the Miskatonic University quad, reflecting upon their recent adventures. Ah, uh, Arkham in the summer really is quite beautiful. I swear these squirrels will put on a pound or two each, even with classes out. No doubt, Jimmy. So I... Uh, I led a black mass last night using the modified ritual that you provided. I don't think anyone noticed the differences, except, of course, for the lack of the black man appearing. They are quite used to failure, Jimmy. They shouldn't pick up on the differences until it is too late. If you say so, Professor. I'm just nervous that the cultists will discover we're working against them. Have some faith, Jimmy. Here, pass me that other bag of crumbs. Sure is quiet when the students are away for the summer. Almost like a different town. They suddenly don't seem so hungry, chubby little things. I wonder why. Uh, Professor, beside you... Hmm? What was that old chap I was... Oh, oh, good lord! Professor! Oh, Jimmy, not again! As the pair looked upon the speaker, they witnessed a being clearly too perfect for humanity. His jet black skin seemed to exude darkness, nay, to breed it. But it was his eyes that did the damage. The professor and his hapless protege were sucked into his obsidian orbs as if falling from a stony precipice into the great abyss beyond. What will happen to our learned men from Arkham? Has the dark man sent them to their demise? Will Miskatonic U be any safer now that Jimmy is gone? Or will the professor's absence spell out a certain doom? Find out next time with Miskatonic Radio Pulp. Ha, ha, ha.
<laughs> and there is the form that Jimmy has now taken. <laughs> he is now full on audio drama. Right on. <laughs> I love his cries. (laughs) 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 No. That demon movie, by the way, is called Fallen uh, with Denzel Washington from 1998. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. Where uh, some strange demon angel transmits by touch uh, and immediately takes control of their body and mind. Um, It's a prequel to The Hurricane. It's a prequel to the hurricane. <laughs> oh my god. No. We're going to try something different. Instead of having Jimmy be the the commercial part for Cryptocurium, we decided to keep it a little more fresh in that we're actually just going to pick something and then just uh, riff about it a little bit. And well, like we mentioned earlier with the contest, Cryptocurium has Nyarlathotep's Bazaar. This is a six-week offering that basically each week a new item is being put into the store. And the first week they had a, um esoteric Order of Dagon uh, zip-up hoodie. Yeah. The second Which week, was really cool, guy, yeah. because I, I really like his uh, his EOD symbol that he has. Yeah, the fish the, head thing. With yeah, the, the, the fish head with the tentacles. Yeah, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. It's like an old woodcut, kind of. Yeah, it's very neat. And then the second week is the Ouija board. That we'll be giving away. So, uh, you know, everybody's had an opportunity to actually see what that looks like. Uh, is it not? Is it not up yet? I still can't You're, see it. Yeah, since we're in the past, uh, Chad is not able to actually look at this. Ha. Uh, however, we were sent images of said Ouija um, board. Oh, we were? Can I see it? I mean, I just want to see it. Nice! Oh, the whole image. That's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's really that cool. is cool. Isn't that awesome? Ooh, what is that? A night gaunt? Who uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, it's oh, a night gaunt planchette that glows in the freaking dark. Oh, and uh, it has a little um a little elder sign kind of keeping it contained somehow. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that awesome. is really nice. And then if it's you really look cool. on the board at the uh top corners there, he's got a Cthulhu and a Nyarlathotep that those are off of items that he has the okay. Cthulhu is the pin that you get whenever you join the um, right. join the club yeah right. and then the the Nihilus is actually his crawling chaos uh, figure he's he's got both a, um, a an amulet and a statue um, for the crawling chaos very cool that's very cool so the Romanesque Cthulhu is the yes Cthulhu cult idol is yes, and no is... No, the, the Romanesque would be... That's the uh, Narlathotep's Crawling oh. Chaos bust. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's yes, and then the other is the no. That's the, the Cthulhu pen that he had issued to uh, his Inner Sanctum members. That is cool. Love it. It's really cool. He did a really good job on it, too. Yeah. And that's going to be the item that you know we'll be wrapping up at the day that the show releases... And then we don't know what it looks like, but we know that the item that will be starting the week that this episode releases is a Yig artifact in a shadow box. Oh, nice. Well, that should be cool. Yeah. Oh, man. I love shadow boxes. That is a a thing I I have have to have. 
Yeah, I have one of his other shadow boxes. It was yeah. a um, Cthulhu artifact uh, in a shadow box, and it's a really, it's really well done. And it has a, a little antiqued uh, label beneath it as well that, you know, kind of like it's from Miskatonic University, and mm-hmm. it's now a, a museum piece, and so this is a little tag that went with it and whatnot. It's very cool. He does a very good job. Yeah. This is just really cool stuff. And so, yeah, he's going to be doing it for six weeks. So each week is going to be a different exclusive item in apparently never to be seen again. Yeah, it should be really cool. I can't wait to see what all he comes out with leading up to Halloween. So yeah, should be really cool. So each time something comes out, what I'm doing is I'm tagging it into our buffer, which will then put a link to it out in the Twitter feed on Facebook and Google+. So that way, if you're subscribed to any of those venues, you will be getting a fresh link each time a new item comes out. So it's very kind cool. of a reminder. Yeah, that's, that's very awesome. I, I really enjoy the stuff he's coming out with here lately. It seems to be he's really, you know, not just doing the little sculptures and um, and the uh, idols and stuff like that that he's, he's kind of known for. He's actually breaking the mold a little bit, like the, the Ouija board and stuff like that. Yeah, it's very cool. being creative and just very really, creative. really giving it his all. I could see this Ouija board being an interesting uh, little diversion for a game prop, even. Yeah, exactly. It looks yeah. really, really cool. I mean, that's that is just awesome. Yeah. All right. So real quick, I wanted to go over a uh, book that I got in from uh, Brian Sammons, um, the wonderful Brian Sammons. Uh, this is Undead and Unbound. It, it came out through Chaosium. Um, it's not straight up mythosy um it is a collection of short stories uh centered around undead of some sort um they're not all traditional undead uh they kind of run the gamut and it's filled with some really good um stories in here the the first story is uh by cody goodfellow who seems to be um Sammons's go-to guy on a lot of items and it's a really fun story called Blind Item but he's also got stories in here from Robert and Price from uh CJ Henderson um Mercedes Yardley I, there's a whole list Tom Lynch has got a story in here as well as Oscar Rios uh David Anilowski uh Peter Rollick uh, it, it's a really really good book uh if you're into kind of like the undead kind of strain which it seems to be extremely popular nowadays thanks to walking dead and and things of that nature um they're not all zombie stories some of them are vampire stories some of them are are just kind of strange um undeady kind of weird some of them are straight up freaking disturbing uh some of them are, are somewhat humorous uh it's a really really good read uh, and I, I can't recommend it enough if if you guys are into that kind of uh genre the subgenre of horror lit, uh, which I am. So it, it's a really fun read. If anybody's had a chance to uh, pick it up, you should definitely go over to chaosium.com and, and get it. Uh, it's got a really cool cover on it too, um, with all these living undead heads in jars, glass jars. It's really a freaky looking little. Yeah, I was wondering uh, if that cover actually pertained to a specific story. I don't think it doesn't actually. Okay. It's just it is it's just kind of a cool cover, I believe that that um, that goes with it. It, it, it gives the feel. Yeah, it gives you the feel of the whole book. I mean, it's got this weird scientist-looking dude who's this Herbert West kind of yeah. character 
that's got these uh well he's holding a, a a jar like almost like a mego brain jar only it's this big big glass specimen jar with a screaming woman's head in it and then beneath him on the table is like frankenstein's head and uh some sort of ghost's head and a skeleton with eyes and a vampire and um i think the other's a mummy there's a chaosian emblem on top of it but i'm assuming it's a mummy um it, it, it's a really good book um there's a bunch of stories in here. Let me, let me count how many there are because there's a, there's a number of them. Let's see, it's 1, 2, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. 19 stories, which is why. Wow. It, yeah, there's 19 stories in this thing. It's 200 and. Oh, man, it's, it's a good. So it's like 280 pages or so total, I believe. Um, it's a big book. I mean, it's. It's trade paper size, but it, it's still it's got a lot of content that he's packed in here, and it, it's a really fun read. So, Undead and Unbound: Unexpected Tales from Beyond the Grave. Uh, go out and grab a copy of that. It's it's worth reading. So, thank you, Mister Sammons. Again, he seems to be like a workhorse. Yeah, that is. Settle down now, class. It's time for your next lesson. All right. This is uh, from one of our listeners, Jasic. Is that how yeah, you guys would pronounce Jasic? Yeah, Jasic. Um, and he maybe, uh, uh, it might be Jasic. But he contacted us via uh, our Google Plus page and asked, uh, could you guys delve more into how news were, was made in the 1920s? Um, how radio and press worked, how fast the news spread in different parts of the world. Uh, what are the differences between now and then? We had discussions during our last game about how fast and what type of info uh, can reach the press. So, yeah, that's a great idea on just how media sources actually would travel and the speed of which they would travel and that sort of thing during the Jazz Age. Let's let Chad go first, because I think since he's kind of in that vein in general anyway, he might have a little tidbit of nugget of info that we don't know of. So, Chad, you, you, you take the lead on this one for right now. All right, well, the, um, the short answer for this specific question is in in 1920 that the um, because the telegraph and the trans, trans transatlantic cable has already been laid down um, next day and same day coverage of big events has already become a, a reality um, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything is going to reach the newspaper uh, for the next day edition. Um, you got to think about the time of day that the news would arrive to a newsroom, and uh, but at that time there were several editions. Usually, in in even in small town newspapers, there would be a uh, a, a morning edition and an afternoon edition. Sometimes even a midday edition. Um, but if something happened overnight, it might not make the morning news, or even as late as about eleven o'clock at night. So that's kind of specific, but if, if news comes in to the newsroom, about 11 o'clock is when most newspapers are putting the paper to bed and doing the front page stuff, and usually the front page news has already been decided. Now, if something happens that's huge that can bump a front page news story, then 
then they might do that. But at that point, like page two, the whole business section and the features section and the you know the B's and C's of the, of the newspaper are already laid out, and the copy editors who work that shift are already gone. So it'd have to be something like front page. So you, the question is, if your news event is big enough to bump anything off the front page and if it comes in at 11 o'clock for the morning edition. So, yeah, but but uh, the speed of travel of news is actually pretty good at that time in the 20s. Um, there wasn't much of a lag, and it, again, it's the technology of the telegraph and the, and the transatlantic cable. Um, before that, it gets a little dicey, and you could have a lot of fun with that if you're in an earlier era. And um, I actually found a site that talks about the um, that's based in London, uh, talking about news events and how long it took to get reported in London newspapers. And um, so, like in the Battle of Waterloo in uh, 1815, took, and that's just a, you know across the Channel, it took four days to get to London newspapers. The victory um, on June 18th, 1815, wasn't reported until June 22nd. But then the the fall of the Alamo in Texas um, in 1836, it took almost two months and ten days for that to reach newspapers. Um, in London. In London. In London, exactly. Yeah, so, that's... so before the cables were, you know, telegraphs were in use, you have to think about distance. From right, the, and you, you yeah. have to realize that the news had to travel basically by boat across mm-hmm. the Atlantic to get it back involved to, a person actually carrying something from one place to the other. Right, right. and there's even an era, an era where um, the telegraphs were in use, but the Atlantic is is a stop, and so then it has to go across by boat. And in fact, mm-hmm. the the Associated Press sort of developed out of a an office in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where they were intercepting because the boats would come down like on their work, they would pass Halifax. Um, they would intercept to get news in Halifax uh, to get it out as early as possible from incoming European ships um, until the cable was laid. And that was in 1858. So it's actually by the time the Civil War happens, the transit transatlantic cable is is already there yeah and i think that even with the cable laid some of the news still would take a day or two uh depending on what it was to get across the pond so to speak yeah Uh, so it it really depends upon um i mean the the cable wasn't perfect let's put it that way um but there was still a delay It, it wasn't instantaneous but it's it's extremely sped up the process yeah it sort of depends on the again the the uh, bigness of the event, um, and so it might take a couple of days just because of human, you know, decisions being made about whether it's newsworthy along the way, and um, so the delay wouldn't be in the technology. The de- delay would be in the decision making of the people who, right, you know, who are receiving the news. So if it's something like, you know, a war breaks out, that's probably going, you know, in Europe, it's probably going to hit very quickly across the cable. Um, because it affects everyone. I mean, that's that's something I think it's a good role play um, and keeper opportunity is to think about the news judgment of your whatever paper you are role playing. Um, because uh, these editors make decisions behind the scenes, and they're, they're often 
are pretty cold decisions that we call news judgment um, about, you know, like a, a house fire where people die might be less newsworthy than some other event that affects other people. And it's a, it's a, it's a terrible decision to have to make. Um, but the calculus there is like how many people are affected, um, how much money involved is, is another way to track the newsworthiness of something mm-hmm. and um, what the consequences are. And then like for a local paper, something that's very close is going to be have a higher news value than you know a factory shuts down in Detroit for a Detroit paper is huge for a, a Florida paper is you know might be in the business section so and right it, so like yeah. also for like a uh, for like a, a global campaign uh, let's say you have a, a a important NPC or a, or a hook a plot character of some sort who dies in New York City and your characters are in London and if you're trying to figure out how long it will actually take for that news to arrive in London, I mean, if it's just an obituary and this is just a, a fairly unimportant individual on the grand scheme of things, it might be a while before that shows up in a London if paper. Ever. If, it, if ever. If ever it does. Yeah, yeah, it'd have to be somebody of note. And for to get into a London paper, it'd have to be really somebody pretty mm-hmm. important, you know, wealthy or... Um, notorious or something like that. Right. I mean, it's so it, it, all of the news is not going to spread. Um, kind of like it does today where you can, you know, you can see what's going on in London, you know, it's a drop of a dime. Um, there was a lot of picking and choosing going on. Yeah. So and there, some amazing events have been shunted off of papers because something bigger happens. Like in nine 11, the whole month after nine 11, there are all these news stories that were, you know, just didn't get reported. Um, there was a whole spate of, of actual, um, of attacks, uh, not ricin. What's the powder? Oh shoot. Oh, the anthrax. Yeah. There was a whole rash of fake anthrax attacks that didn't really get covered because, um, Everybody was still talking about who who done it in the attack. So yeah, it's just it, you have to think about what else is going on and what those editors are are doing to make a decision. And his um, J six uh, example, I, I actually asked him what his specific example was, and he said that you know um, the investigators basically uh, had burned down a an evil house, and that uh, let's see. So it sounds like there were killing, there there were um, deaths involved in the in this house fire, and they wanted to know, you know, if it would appear the next day in papers. Um, one of the things, as I mentioned, is the timing. So if it's after eleven o'clock, you might have. I mean, to stop the presses, that kind of like that that uh, you know uh, sort of movie trope. Stopping the presses can cost, you know, for a big press, can c- cost a fine of like tens of thousands of dollars. So people don't they don't do it unless there is a major correction, like you know, uh, the you know a wrong result in a presidential race right. or something which, like that. Which is exactly why they had two editions every day. I mean, because yeah. they they knew that they were not going to be able to get everything, and they had a firm deadline that they very very rarely would ever break. Right, um, and so they would always have an, an evening or an afternoon edition in order to cover the stuff that did not make it, either that wasn't important enough to make the morning edition, or 
you know, things that happened after the deadline um, for the morning edition so that you would have it there that same day, at least, if it's local. Right. If it wasn't, then it was still a day or two out, uh, depending on how important it was. Yeah, yeah. And he, he also wanted to know how fast local news might break into the national news. And that's, again, like a decision about impact. Um, a house fire is probably not going to make it to national news. No. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Not something particularly noteworthy like, well, there, there are skeletons of something we can't identify in there. That might be something. Right. Or it's part of a trend. Like mm-hmm. uh, you know, another serial arsons or something yeah, like that. Yeah, serial arsons of the churches, the Baptist churches that um, right. that happened a while ago, and um, you know, so yeah, so it, it, if if it is part of a larger story and it supports some trend or narrative that seems to be going on, like a spate of killings or that are similar, um, something like that. But otherwise, you know, murder and uh, house fires and things that a local person would feels important in their hometown that might make it to the paper probably will not make it to the national news um so yeah and how he also was asking about um how news agents work i guess he means reporters (laughs) um how much information they can get from police uh, and how easy it is to bribe someone to get inside news. Oh, oh, something I wanted to mention also about television nowadays and how it's different. A house fire can get on the national news now simply because the images are compelling. Right. Just mm. because it was filmed well or, you know, it happened at it's a, dawn. It's a particularly spectacular blaze. <laughs> spectacular fire. Like they, right. Where the news judgment is in newspapers, like how many people died, how many, you know, or if it was a business and if there's money involved. Yeah, or if it's the actual you know, data yeah. associated. Uh, and sometimes photos. I mean, it's, it is true that you can have a front, front page photo that, ha- that follows the same logic, that it's just an amazing photo. Mm. And sometimes you won't, you'll just only have a caption. That happens a lot with newspapers where you just have your photo- photographers go out and take the best photo of the day and put that on your front page. And there's no story. There's just a caption, you know, so-and-so, um, whatever. Um, you just, you know, the, the entire story is a sentence. Um, but that has really affected <laughs> I want to be careful not to get too much on a soapbox here, but it's really affected what we consume if if television is your main news source because it is all the first question of a television news reporter is what does it look like right and because they have to it's just that's television well, they're selling um, ratings they're you know that's that's what their deal is. They need the ratings more than they need the uh story content so well. Yeah, I mean, it's again news value. It's, I'm sort of want to be neutral about it, but it's just that it changes the news value um, because it is also kind of true that the reason you choose you know the highest number of deaths that day in a news story in a newspaper, um, in a way, is to sell to sell papers because you mm-hmm. want to appeal to like what people care about. But on television, what people care about or at least what news editors think people care about, is what looks interesting, what will keep them in front of the television. And um, so even though you get coverage of Congress and you know you get sort of the wonky stuff that is um, a little more cerebral, you will always have uh, you know, images interspersed 
where I mean, sometimes you look at these news stories and you're like, why is this forest fire a story? And yet we've had forest fires all summer. It's a, it's a seasonal thing. Why is this one? Well, somebody caught you know a picture of a bear in a tree, and that's why it becomes a national news story, even though like there's bears and trees all over the world. You know, um, it's just about capturing the image. Um, yeah. So uh, also we need to talk about radio a little bit because oh, radio yeah. mm-hmm. in the twenties really started picking up. I think in you know in the nineteen in nineteen twenty. No, in 1922, I think there was 30, roughly about 30 stations. Uh, in 23, there was 550 stations. That gives you an idea of uh, the exponential level at which um, radio was just coming alive. Um, radio, as opposed to, and I guess you could see this as similar to um, television in a way, but not really. Radio was time. You know, that was the big constraint there. So either you had a newspaper who was sponsoring uh, actual stories on the radio for the news. Uh, in the beginning, that's how it worked. You know, you had, you know, the New York Times would would sponsor a radio station to read the news. Um, mm-hmm. But they would be a, there would be a, kind, a time constraint. So they would take the biggest stories and then trim them down. Uh, so that they could actually get them out. Now, there was also a, a famous, um, you know, a famous uh, um, radio announcer at the time called Floyd Gibbons, who would give a literally a 217 word per minute machine gun delivery of the news, um, which is really freaking fast. I mean, 217 words a minute uh, speaking coherently is pretty impressive. Um, but he would do that uh, and read these these newspaper stories. You know, as they come out, but there's even that. You know, you have um, you have newspapers actually sponsoring the radio to read the paper, um, and that lasted for quite a while until you know the nonprofit and um, um, public radio uh, formats came around, and then things started opening up a little bit. But that was more towards the later uh, half of the twentieth. Uh, you know, after about twenty. 24, 25. So if you're early 20s, most of your um, your radio stations are going to actually have a sponsored news segment from a from a radio or from a newspaper. In which case, if it's a local radio, it could very well be a local paper who's sponsoring that news segment. Mm. Unless you know, especially earlier on. Later, they would start rebroadcasting. Um, you know the the national news from a national level, but even those would have been sponsored by some other source of news outlet. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, it, it's a dirty little secret that actually throughout radio history, it's been a secondary news outlet. And, and the staff has always been much smaller than you have. Well, now it's shifting. It's Now it's shifting because newspapers are shrinking so much. Right. But generally, the, the workhorse um, newspaper uh, news... The news work Generator. is done. Yeah. yeah, is newspapers and wires. Wires are especially at this. Yeah, at this point in time, and we're talking about the twenties specifically. Uh, newspapers and, like you say, the wire service was the primary source of all news. Period. If it was somewhere else, um, it typically came from a newspaper. the The one caveat would be 
um, if we're talking mid to late 20s, I think Time Magazine debuted in like 23. And they they actually covered their own, they started as a weekly um, magazine. And they had their own research staff and stuff as that to, to get as much fact out as possible. But they're kind of a rare exception. Um, and if we're going to talk about newspaper, we actually have to talk about the tabloids as well. Because the 1920s just had an amazing amount of tabloid journalism uh, going on, which they called jazz journalism, uh, depending <laughs> on where you're looking at it. But uh, it was it was very uh, heavily bended towards, like you would think in tabloid journalism, um, entertainment stuff. Um, they would reinterpret reinterpret uh, current news and uh, celebrity stuff. Uh, a lot of hits on murder trials seem to be very popular with tabloid press of, of the time. Um, yeah. and there was a huge, um, a huge war between, um, actual newspapers and the tabloids. So you would be able to see, you know, the newspapers actually attacking the tabloid presses, um, yeah. where, you know, trying to say, Oh, well, they're, you know, they're, they're, um, well, here's a quote. It says, uh, tabloids are turning readers into witless gossips, gutter vamps, and backyard sheiks. That was, that was printed in a, a, news prep, a newspaper, actually. What the hell is a backyard sheik? <laughs> I don't know, but it's quite, it's quite provocative, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and things like this went on constantly uh, in the 20s um, with newspapers and uh, uh, the, between the newspapers and the tabloids. Yeah, this is kind of a peeve of mine, I have to say, that um, often I find people assume that yellow journalism is is the dominant form of journalism. Wait, and, no, no, wait, you're going to have to, not everybody knows what yellow journalism well, tabloid, is. So. Tabloid journalism, yellow journalism was an earlier term, like more yeah. of the turn of the century. Um, but it's the same kind of thing, where it yeah. is sort of infotainment and based on um, right. sensationalism. But um, this is not this is not how newspapers were uh, respectable newspapers were in in a dominant sense. They of course they were looking. There's always a a search for sensational information to put on your pages. But um, I just want to make it clear that that the yellow journalism model of of uh, you know muckraking. Well, muckraking is actually like a, a term. Uh, a, a term of respect for investigative journalists, but people who are um, just dredging up crap, uh, but you know, sensational stuff. That is one form of journalism. And when you have a character in the game, it's good to decide what kind you want to be, and then find a publication that'll support that. Because what I found is, you know, you you might have a character who works for the Boston Globe and and you know, the correspondent in Arkham or something like that, and that they they are doing this kind of um, yellow journalism that wouldn't really fit in a Boston Globe paper. Um, it may be more fun, more entertaining as a as a character, but um, you're gonna need to find you know a different publication. It's not you can't paint them all with the same brush is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I would think that it would just make sense to, okay, I want to have this guy who's going to be searching out these weird, bizarre things. So I'm just going to make up some goofy sounding uh, uh, tabloid type paper that, you know, you don't need to be necessarily historically accurate on those aspects. 
The respectable right. papers actually make sense to actually have a proper title that's easier to research, too. Right, right. you know, half of them are still around, but... Uh, yeah, and you, you certainly know, have reporters that come and go that may be unscrupulous, um, you mm-hmm. know, in main, in main papers. I mean, it still well, happens, but... Half of them are not, not to argue, but half of them aren't still around. I mean, it, that's the thing about newspapers of the time. Every freaking town had a newspaper. Yeah, New York City boroughs. would have, yeah. every borough had at least two or three newspapers to it. Well, now and it the, still does. <laughs> there well, are still new, local newspapers in the boroughs here, but uh, that New York City is kind of a weird exception. Yeah, but definitely newspaper. There's a, a terrible, a really depressing website. Um, what is it called? We don't like, know. I'm sorry, newspaper obituary or something like that. It's oh, it's right. basically um, looking at. Uh, shoot, I wish I had that at my fingertips, but we'll put it in the show notes. Um, that tracks the death of newspapers nowadays, and it's it's sad. I mean, the the, the Times Picayune, the uh, you know, there are cities now that don't have a paper. <laughs> I mean, big, you know, second and third tier um, cities that do not have a newspaper anymore. So you want to talk about, I mean, part of the question was, what's the difference now and then? Now we are in some kind of transition uh, in news and a, a, a treacherous one. And, um, you know, the newspapers are still trying to figure out how to, how to turn a profit so that they can remain afloat. Anyway, soapbox. Talking about scruples, that part of the question—it's almost another subject, but this, like, how reporters get information from police, for example, and how easy it is to bribe someone. The we've talked about bribes before, but basically, um, the yellow journalists will pay for information, and the scrupulous journalists who work for, uh, you know, respected press. Um, should not, doesn't mean that they never did, but, um, if they get caught, their editors, they're screwed. You know, they will, they will, they will get fired for it. It's a fireable offense. And, and honestly, it really has been for a long time. So the idea that reporters are using these skeezy, um, techniques to get information, it's actually what you have is relationships and you have police that will leak you information, um, but you do that because there's some give and take. You know, you they they believe you are a good reporter and therefore trusted, and they will give you the information over someone else. So if you're a reporter, um, it has to do with your your reputation and and um, your actual work on the ground. And you have to remember also that reporters have a beat, have a particular beat, and what that means is they have developed sources in a particular area, like a police beat reporter will know every cop um, in the town and will have good relationships with them, um, but like then there's the city council beat, and then there's the school, the education beat, and the sports beat, and all of those are different, and they're, they're sort of in silos, so you're, uh, you know, as a, as a journalist, you sort of want to know what your specialty is. Uh, and that will define where your contacts are. Also, the difference between the tabloid journals of the time and, and today, actually, um, and one of the more scrupulous or well-known reporter journals, uh, journalists for a well-known or scrupulous employer. Well, the, anyway, the difference is also that uh, fat-checking, you know, you'll have the more respectable places they need to vet some of the stuff that they're coming up with, especially if it's a more controversial topic. 
However, the tabloid presses, as soon as they hear it, they can print it. But they don't really give a crap if it's been um, completely vetted, you know, if you've got sources, multiple sources claiming the same exact thing. Well, they, have, they do have to protect themselves from um, lawsuits, from litigation. So, you know, that, that's something that, uh, yeah, you, it, it depends on what information that they're, they're putting out there. But a lot of these tabloids were destroyed because of litigation. Right. Um, and that, you know, litigation didn't develop as we know it now until, you know, as, as the century wore on. So um, it sort of went rampant. And then um, because of law, legal cases, you know, you just couldn't turn a profit um, spreading lies about specific people because, you'd, you, you know, you'd lose your, lose mm-hmm. your license. I hope that's not too dry about like news. I don't know. Uh, I hope that's I thought it was all right. interesting. Yeah. No, it's a fun no. topic just because of the the changes between how it's done now and how it's done then, and then you know because we're we are in kind of the exact opposite situation of uh, regarding newspapers at least right. um, now as we are as we were in the twenties where the twenties was the heyday of the of the newspaper. I mean nothing. Everything came from the newspapers. If you wanted to know anything, you went to the papers. Um, whereas today, it, it, they're dying. I mean, they're doing a slow, horrible death roll, but it's, you know, they're not, it's not looking good. You know, so it's completely the opposite situation. Yeah. Uh, Game-wise, what I, one thing I thought is interesting is to, if you have a journalist character, is to have a an editor NPC. I mean, it's kind of perhaps an obvious thing, but the editor really uh, has a lot to do with what kind of news a character can pass into the paper. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of cartoon editors out there like J. Jonah Jameson and, and Perry White from Superman. Um, but there are their editors are all really different and they all have really different senses of what's important. And that affects um, what gets into the paper a lot. They're a filter and it's, I think fun if you have a journalist character to have a relationship with that editor and you know a little back and forth. Also, you can use that as a control mechanism for the player character because if you have a, a journalist character who wants to go and investigate this or this, you know he actually can't do that without you know having someone give him the go ahead because he can't waste that time that he could right. be spending on something else. So I mean, you can have his editor just nix it right out of the bag. Say, look, nobody's going to fucking care about that if you we're not going to print that. Right. So and just and just move that character along to something else. Right. It's typical for a reporter to maybe have a long form investigative thing going at the same time as they're doing the dailies. Um, so you know you can actually pitch. That's how it works. Actually, is you pitch a story. Um, usually, you pitch a story before you go do the work on it. But you know, a player character is obviously if if their hook into a plot is that they're going to be reporting on it, um, you can just have them kind of go down the rabbit hole and do all, all the, um, the legwork and then pitch a story because, you know, when they figure out what it is, and of course in a Call of Cthulhu <laughs> scenario, it's probably going to end up being something they can't fully tell the truth about. <laughs> so yeah, now, there is one thing I forgot to mention earlier. Um, there was a lot of, how can you put this? A lot of the news from the 20s was complete crap. Let's put this nicely, okay? Uh, A lot of um, publishers and broadcasters from that time felt that printing a lot of serious news stories, 
like really serious news stories would just go against their audiences. They, the audiences would not get it. They would not care. And they would separate themselves from the general public as a whole. So what they did is it printed a whole bunch of junk. Okay. Uh, you got to remember what newspapers looked at at the time. Uh, I mean, they were very, very small typeface. Huge amount of information. On Huge a amount page, of information yeah. on a page. And most of it was not worth there. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't important at all. So, I mean, that's the other thing to realize is that for every good story, I don't know the actual ratio here, but I'm going to just guesstimate for every good story, there was probably five or six that were just complete crap that didn't, that today would not make a paper at all, but they were, you know, they were trying not to overwhelm, um, their readers. And because of the format of the time where they had the, you know, the huge columns, the very small typeface, I mean, they put a book worth of text on the front page alone. Um, they were trying not to overwhelm their readers at the same time. Yeah, I, I would say that that tension still exists in in radio and TV and and, and in newspapers. That you uh, there is a sense that you have to entertain um, to keep readership. If you have only you know front page news about procedural things in in legislation. Uh, you're going to lose readership, so they will put a photo of you know the right. kitty being, the kitten being saved by the firefighter. I don't know if you have you seen that video. Yeah, yeah. Or they'll um, put the uh, or they'll have you know they'll be talking about the stock market and they'll jump straight into uh, some leading man's latest travails or something. I mean, it's you know they'll they'll position things strangely as well. It doesn't all necessarily have to be broken out into sections like you would think of today. Yeah, it's all calculated, believe me. It's I mean it's not necessarily well thought out, but it is thought out. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, every every corner of a front page, every little tiny bit has been obsessed over for hours by, you know, a, a whole team of right layout know, artists and Yeah, and they're all ex exercising their news judgment, which is right. subjective and can be kind of strange. Uh, we do. I guess we do need to mention uh, cinema just for a moment, I suppose. Because newsreels. News yeah, newsreels. Um, talkies, as they would put them, uh, didn't arrive until the twenties uh, in 1927, I believe. But um, at, at that point, they did start actually. You, you would start seeing advertisements as well as newsreels um, in the films. So that was kind of a strange thing there of course the things that they chose to show there were it was very complicated i'll put it this way the cameras that they had at the time were not portable it, you had to basically set up this hundred pound camera um in one position facing one direction and have it running and if you got the shot you got the shot if you didn't get the shot well you didn't get the shot and nobody's going to ever see it again um so well, it, well can, I, can i interject yeah yeah go ahead what they would do is stage. They would uh, re-stage what happened. Right. It, they would film it. Uh, Reenactment just wasn't considered bad form until you know much later when television, live television, could bring the immediacy. 
you watch some of these um, news, this news footage, and much of it is is shot like a Hollywood film with extras and you know. Right, and honestly, a lot of that is because of the of the camera technology at the sure. time. It, it just was not possible to move that camera um, to get a panning shot. You could not pan. You know, it was a fixed deal. If you tried to pan, you just you probably kill yourself. Um, but these these cameras were not made to move. You know, that wasn't until later. Much later. Right. So, can I throw Dan? I feel like we need to hear from you, uh, and I want to ask if you've ever played a journalist character, or if you um, have had a you know run a game with one in it. The only one I've really ever played was uh, Wally. In Wally. The, uh, <laughs> in I love Wally. The uh, yeah, in our first audio game that we had on the feed here i forgot he was a journalist yeah yeah yeah, yeah because i never really had much you know <laughs> to do with it in that particular adventure yeah. but yeah he was a uh I, I mainly had him as like photo journalist so right right right. he had his camera and stuff so he would have been like the guy taking the pictures that would have had just the one line description under it and that's about yeah. it right right yeah, that's interesting. A lot of people play photographers, news photographers, instead of um, you know print you know writers in mm-hmm. in the game. It's kind of it's a little bit of it's not an easier job. I'll be careful not to say it's an easier job. It is not, but it's yeah. easier to play. I think as a character, and the camera yeah. gives you kind of a cool prop to have mm-hmm. your character lugging around and yeah, and you sort of know like there's going to be a situation where you're going to take that photo that is going mm-hmm. to be, you know, you're going to have to decide whether to suppress it or not. You yeah. Know? You have yeah. Thing, fun things like flash powder that you can yeah. use in yeah. creative yeah. ways and sure be a distraction when needed, that sort of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, he's the only uh, journalist type character I've ever really played. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why I chose him. Yeah, do you shy away from journalist characters for any reason? Any particular Not reason why? Particularly no. It just wasn't anything that I'd ever really done before, so Yeah. You know, it, in a good majority of my gaming, I've been running and right. so you know, but you haven't had to Call run it. Yeah, yeah. But you haven't had character many journalist characters in your groups? Not really. Yeah, just hasn't been something that people have gravitated towards. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, you know, I've done archaeologists and that sort of thing. You know, the people that seem pretty well suited for digging around in places they shouldn't be. But then again, journalists fit that quite nicely too. Yeah, they're good investigators, but then they ha- they sort of have this public side, you know, like mm-hmm. a. So they have to figure out how to go from the secret that they're investigating to what they're willing to tell. So, yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. So they need to, you know, they can either risk their reputation of being, you know, actually somebody who knows what they're talking about to be in a crackpot. Right. Exactly. You know, and or go with a yeah. paper that they're just not going to care. Right. You no. Know, Kolchak is the only example I can think of that really fits this sort of mold. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, Jack the Night Stalker. And he would write up these full detailed things of his experiences, but nobody believed it because he wrote for a tabloid. Right, 
Yeah, I guess maybe that maybe I'm missing that. That that's probably is why there's so much focus on yellow journalism in the game because yeah. mm-hmm. you kind of you know you're going to have to suppress it or tell a terrible or, lie. Yeah, yeah, or be or just have nobody believe you. Put it in some yeah. mockingly ridiculous. Yeah. Tabloid paper that no, no one's going to yeah. believe anyway. Men in black angle with Right. You know, best in- investigative journalism on the planet, you know, and all these weird, bizarre things they're talking about. Well, no, that's actually what they're finding. Yeah. <laughs> well, if there are listeners out there who want to use this show form thread to weigh in, if you've ever played a journalist and you have any thoughts about how to how to play journalists, how to run, you know, game based newsrooms um, or any other, uh, you know, quirks or things that, that you've come up with uh, in the journalism world in game I would love to hear about that I mean, very much would love to hear about that because this is in my, this is in my bailiwick uh, one thing that occurred to me was was radio back then actually 24 hours or was it like earlier TV where there just wasn't anything on the stations at certain times that's an awesome question I think it's not I think it was not I think no it, was it wasn't they, they would yeah. yeah they would turn off um, I don't know exactly typically 11 o'clock at night or, or midnight they would shut down depending on what station it was sometimes earlier sometimes later but then they would just shut down until the morning news come and they would have their 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 morning announce or whatever and then they would do go into their morning news segments and then they would have whatever they had planned throughout the day and then they would shut down again in the evening right that was kind of what i figured probably was how it worked but uh so that's something also to keep in mind of in your games it depended a lot upon the station though so if it was a really popular station you know like in in new york for instance it might actually run Maybe not at first, but within the twenties, at some point, I'm sure it was 24 hour. It's a good question. I think we should we should find out instead of just taking a stab. So, uh, no, yeah, we definitely need to research that, that one a little bit. Yeah, just throw that in the um, not in the show notes, but in the uh, in the thread if we find out. So, man, late late radio, late night radio, um, has been such an awesome like petri dish for for crazy stuff and yeah um, yeah so whenever that began to happen of course my my recollection only goes back to the 70s but like you get you know dr demento was a late night thing when it started um Mm -hmm. joe joe frank i don't know if you ever heard joe frank but that is a that dude is creepy (laughs) um (laughs) Really good stuff. Uh, you should listen to it. He, he he did this whole show, a really famous show, where he would call all of his ex girlfriends, on you know, just surprise them, and then sort of like work through in a really creepy way, like what went wrong. It's like unbelievable, dark humor. Wow. Yeah. It just sounds bad. <laughs> it's 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 kind of amazing. He's got this. He's got this like really. He's got a Murph voice. <laughs> He's got one of them voices. Um, what else? Oh, I was just thinking about. Oh, and of course the Art Bell stuff is late night. You know, was was born out of late night radio. So, so actually, to bring it back to game, um, a late night radio journalist or rate late night radio show host would be a pretty awesome character class or you know profession to 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 deal with. Um, yeah, but 
but we'll have to figure out what era that would be plausible because I, I don't believe in the 20s that that happened. And I hear Murph looking it up now. No, I'm sorry. I already looked it up. I couldn't find a quick answer. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, that'll be something to look forward to. <laughs> I have found a number of resources, though, that I'm throwing in the show notes as we talk. I've gone, just found a bunch of Joe Frank stuff on YouTube. Oh, great. I found some Floyd Gibbons stuff on YouTube. Awesome. Floyd yeah. Gibbons, by the way, is the guy who did, I mean, he, he is the newsreel voice. If you've heard one of those newsreels from the 20s, um, it was Floyd Gibbons, most likely. That's um, another uh, channel thing on YouTube I found was uh, 1920s newsreels. Yep. And I think the site you were thinking of earlier, Chad, was Newspaper Death Watch. Yes, that's the one. Okay. Good find, yeah. I mean, man, if you want to get depressed, <laughs> especially if you're a journalist. <laughs> um, it's good. I don't know. Man. Like, this is a soapbox thing for me, but check it out. It is um, really amazing what's happening. And, you know, I am not a total declinist here. I think that we are on our way to something new and more exciting. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I mean, No, yeah, I, I agree. There, there are trade-offs. It's genuinely you know? a whole new medium that is really making a big splash. Yeah. I think Pod- podcasting, podcasting is so easy, but at the same time, it's it kind of a throwback to the very local radio and the and the local shows, the almost vaudevillian stuff mm-hmm. that yeah. they would do. Definitely. Um, you know, Car Talk was originally a uh, a local radio thing, and it right. just it went national. And like who? It's like surprising, right? Why would a show about cars ever go national and be well, what, the most popular? You know, click and clack are, are just hilarious personality, right? And now podcasting has become the new farm league for uh, for radio because you have WNYC in New York picked up um, the Slate Culture Gab Fest, which was just like Slate Magazine had you know a few of their editors get together and talk about weird culture stuff of the week and it's now a national show so yeah this is you know radio having a radio station like a pirate radio station was used to be the cheap thing the do-it-yourself thing that could end up you know getting you into a a big radio Mm -hmm. market now it's podcasting so yep so let's say anybody can do it from (laughs) yep from their own bedroom with minimal equipment yeah, I've definitely been following the whole podcasting thing, and it's uh, becoming pretty major. Yeah. Not a replacement for a newsroom, I will have to say. That's the trade-off. No, it yeah, is like no. having a big editorial department um, or letters to the editor or you know that kind of thing. A big, a big op-ed piece is basically kind of yeah. what it is. Yeah, that's one thing that we do lack is, is that directed and – um, and I'm not talking about podcasts. I'm just talking about, um, well, yeah, podcasts in general. That directed, um, sculpted feel of the news, which in some cases is good, in some cases is bad. You know, when you have news editors that actually can come back and say, no, this is, you need to expand on this a little bit more. This sounds stupid. You know what I mean? That's missing. But yeah, in some cases, that's a good thing. Some cases, that's a bad thing. Yeah, depends. we need both. We need we need yeah. that uh, multi-filtered news that goes through you know a methodical process of of getting fact checked, of getting a copy edited, you know, all the way to the end product, um, and the 
the sort of petri dish of leads and interesting things. I mean, what you have is, is people calling themselves citizen journalists and just asking open-ended questions, which is exactly what I'm doing in the history segments. It's just if you ask a question, it's as though you are investigating, but you are not. <laughs> you are implying it, you know, it's editorial, and that a <laughs> lot of that is going on, and it is just it's basically a way to express opinion. It's not journalism. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But a lot of people don't realize that. Uh, that's that's the other thing. Is a lot of people don't realize that that's what they're actually doing. Right. Anyway. I think we need media Way off the subject. Way off subject, guys. Problem. All right. Different. Yeah, we're going to a different show now. Uh, but uh, anyway, throw us, a, throw us a bumper there. We want to hear from our listeners, and we got lots of different ways for you guys to get in touch with us. Our main contact email address is feedback at mu-podcast.com. We also have a Twitter account at mu underscore podcast, and you can join me on the IRC channel over at pound miskatonic U on Freenode. We've got our Providence, Rhode Island voicemail number. That's at 401-400-0-MUP. It's 401-400-0687. Ask us a question or leave us a liner and say who you are, and I'm enrolled at the Miskatonic University podcast. We'd love a hearty Go Pods for our home team, the Fighting Cephalopods. Our website is mu-podcast.com, and you can find our show notes for this episode at mu-podcast.com slash 40. That's the number, four zero. Our forums are at mu-podcast.com slash campus. We also have a thread on the Yog Sava forums in the Arkham Market Square section. And now we have a listing in the D20 radio forums, too. Sign up for our show on iTunes, or you can use any of the RSS feeds found on the website. If you have an event or news to share, go to mu-podcast.com slash guest to be a guest poster on the website. Somebody please do this. Sometime, somewhere, somehow. Yeah, otherwise, and, we'll stop mentioning it. <laughs> and the link on the right side of the website is our SpeakPipe link. Uh, Leave us a voice message. Yes. Yes. Please. If your computer has a, has a microphone or if you have an iOS device, you can use it. It's free to use. Please use it. It's, it's really cool. We, we love to hear your voices on the, on the air. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Class is dismissed. The Call of Cthulhu role-playing game is property of Chaosium, Inc. The written works of H.P. Lovecraft are held in the United States public domain. All other works mentioned in this podcast are the property of their respective owners. Original content of this show is copyright of the Miskatonic University podcast under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share-alike license. Sure. Say it with me. Equoid. 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 <laughs> <laughs>